welcome to cii podcasts hello everyone i am chris gopalakrishnan i chair the task force uh, on uh, technology innovation and r&d i welcome you to the special b20 episode uh, of a cii podcast as you may know cii is the secretariat for b20 india engagement group through this important platform b20 india is facilitating conversations on economic growth and development opportunities through the various task forces and action councils now today's topic for discussion is governing ai india's opportunity to contribute positively in a era defined by rapid technological development ai has emerged as a transformative force with the potential to reshape industries economies and societies on a global scale as nations navigate the intricate landscape of ai governance india stands at a critical juncture a moment that presents not only challenges but a profound opportunity to position itself as a trailblazer in responsible ai development and deployment in this era of unprecedented possibilities india has the chance to lead the way in crafting ethical frameworks innovative policies and collaboration strategies that harness the full potential of ai while safeguarding the rights values and aspirations of its citizens and world at large now to discuss this we have mr brad smith vice chair and president microsoft corporation usa he is the co-chair of the task force on technology innovation and r&d brad leads a team of more than 1900 business legal and corporate affairs professionals located in 54 countries and operating in more than 120 nations so that sounds okay he plays a key role in spearheading the company's work on ethical issues on critical issues involving the intersection of technology and society including cyber security privacy artificial intelligence environmental sustainability human rights immigration and philanthropy so welcome brad to this uh, podcast as co-chair for the b20 india task force at tech innovation and r&d you have actively contributed to the b20 deliberation process and valuable and delivered offered valuable insights so let me start by asking you what you see as the biggest opportunity that this new ai wave brings for people in the g20 countries and beyond well first of all thank you it's great to be here with you and i think it's a remarkable moment in time uh certainly for the history of technology perhaps even for the history of humanity and it's a wonderful coincidence that the world is really coming to india converging on india to address it all i think one way to think about ai and what it has the potential to do for the g20 countries and really for the world is to try to compare it to other inventions over time and this is something that we've spent a little bit of time debating within microsoft how do we think about this what is this the most similar to is it like the computer is it like the internet is it like the combustion engine is it like electricity 
And I think the conclusion that we've come to, certainly the conclusion I've come to, is that the best analogy is the printing press. Uh, the printing press, perhaps more than any single invention, and certainly more than any invention before it, advanced human knowledge. It advanced humanity's ability to engage in critical thinking, to advance creative expression, to disseminate learning around the world, even though if we go back to the invention of the printing press, where when it was really perfected in the 1450s, it did not reach every part of the world equally. This time, it can be different. I think AI has the potential, especially generative AI, to be a tool that anyone can use to learn, to think more critically, to reason, and then to formulate their ideas, to advance their own ability to share their ideas in a creative and compelling way. And this time, it can reach everyone because we live in a time where the internet has connected the world. And if there is any single country, in my opinion, that has most demonstrated over the last five years, the breadth and the, of the reach of technology and its impact, it is India itself. So for the world to come together in the form of this G20 meeting and to talk about technology in a year where I do think it is a year about AI, I think gives us an enormous opportunity to build a platform for the future. Uh, very nicely uh, put, uh, Brad. Uh, let me take this forward. You know, in your book written with uh, Carol and Brown, you write that any technology has the potential to be a tool or a weapon, including AI. How do you think countries, society, and organizations should approach this new technology towards building guardrails for the future? I think we should approach this with, on the one hand, a huge dose of optimism. It will be used in so many good ways. It will improve healthcare. We're already seeing it enable doctors to diagnose diseases and ailments earlier on and more quickly. Um, we're seeing it you know, used to transform education in countries where ministries of education are really leaning in and, and in effect are creating AI tutors for students. But we do need guardrails. Uh, it will be used as both a tool and a weapon. And I think that fundamentally means two things. One is we will need principles that then are translated into new laws and regulations that will govern how AI is created and equally how it is deployed, how it is used, especially by organizations, whether the organizations are governments or companies or, or NGOs and the like. Um, but I also think we need to be clear-eyed and recognize that law is fundamentally a tool that governs effectively those who decide to follow it. And in most countries, that's most people. But in the world today, it's not every country. We do have countries that we see that are not following global norms or global laws. And I, I do think in this context, it will create the need for new coalitions of the willing to come together and to use AI to build defenses against the abuses that we may otherwise experience. 
And the abuses can take the form of AI-powered cybersecurity attacks, uh, AI-powered cyber influence or disinformation campaigns. Um, we'll see bad actor, actors use AI to engage in fraudulent activities in more sophisticated ways. But fundamentally, I believe that AI is a tool that can detect that kind of abuse and help us intercept and defeat it. And I think that too needs to be one of the paramount goals we pursue. I want to take it a little bit further. So I know um, you have uh, actually come out with a five point blueprint for governing AI and you've spoken about it uh, recently. So how can it be applied uh, to India and developing countries uh, in general? When we think about the blueprint that we've advocated for, I think there are several pieces that are directly relevant in India. Uh, the first principle is build on what we have already. Uh, we have existing laws, we have uh, strong uh, you know, parts of the government. India is an excellent example of this, I think, in terms of the advances in recent years, both in terms of government policy and law, and then just frankly, in terms of the Indian technology sector. And yeah, this has created a governance capability for all technology. And now that can be applied to AI as well. And especially if we look at the cybersecurity space, there is a lot from which we can draw and learn. Um, a second lesson in our view is what I would call elevate safety and, and make it the first principle we pursue. Um, we do live in a world where people, I think, rightly ask questions. Some have concerns. They worry that AI will be used in ways that will cause humanity to lose control of this technology. Let's ensure that we don't. Um, we've advocated for the creation of what we call AI safety breaks. In other words, whenever AI is used to automate and control critical infrastructure, whether it's the electrical grid or the water supply or the flow of traffic and the light, there need to be safety breaks, just as we have for electricity itself. We have circuit breakers. We go in elevators. You know, they have safety breaks. You get on a bus, it has an emergency break. Um, we need to build this into the architecture of AI as well, and we need to mandate that it be used. The third point that we're really advocating for is the creation of a regulatory architecture for AI that is based on the technology architecture that we see emerging for the development and use of artificial intelligence. And there's a few aspects that are especially important. One is to look at the applications layer, the applications that are being developed and used uh, with AI to provide people with services. And I think India is an especially interesting country to think about this in terms of your digital public goods, especially when you think about what they do, say, in the in the realm of payments and healthcare. You know, it's critically important that as AI is deployed in, say, those kinds of applications layers, that they de be deployed in ways that will ensure full compliance with all of the laws that exist today the laws that protect people's privacy, the laws that protect people from, say, discrimination and the like. But one cannot stop there. We need to have laws and regulation for these foundational or frontier models themselves. 
Models like GPT-4, for example, developed by OpenAI, working closely with Microsoft. And we do think it's appropriate you know, to have a specific regulatory regime that requires that there be safety testing when these models are created, that there be safety requirements they have to conform to, that there be safety monitoring even after they be deployed. And then finally, that we think about the uh, data centers, really the AI-focused data centers that will be so important in terms of advanced computational resources. Here too, I think there is a role for law and regulation, in part to ensure that the safety protocols, the safety breaks, so to speak, uh, can be deployed so that things can be shut off in a data center if there is a safety concern. Uh, that we especially focus on security protection, including cybersecurity protection. So in short, what we would say is let's put these pieces together. Let's take a comprehensive approach. And I think by doing so, we can give the public what it deserves, the opportunity to harness the power of AI, to unleash productivity gains, to advance healthcare, education and the like, but do it with the kinds of safety assurances and the broader legal compliance that the public needs and needs in order to trust this new technology. Microsoft is a leading provider of uh, several services, cloud uh, content, uh, uh, productivity applications. And uh, you, know, you have a very unique uh, concept, you know, KY3C, I think know your cloud customer content. Um, you think about governance this way. So can you uh, tell us why these three C's, you know, cloud customer content are important for platform providers in your viewpoint? One of the things we've really tried to spend some time doing this year is thinking about what we can learn from the rest of the economy, from history, from the development of technology. And you know, the KYC or know your customer principle really emerged around the world in about the 1970s, especially in the concept of banking or financial services. The concern that arose is that while money is something that everyone needs, it too can be turned into a weapon and it can be used for purposes that we need to protect against as a society globally. It can be used by criminals, it can be used by terrorists. And so what emerged was this principle that banks, for example, would need to know their customer. They would need to have a sense of you know, who they were lending money to, who was transacting large amounts of money, especially, say, across borders and other settings. And this has been an extremely important and in many ways quite effective tool to protect the public now for half a century. So we think this has an important applicability for an AI era as well as AI is something that we believe can be put to equally ubiquitous use. So it starts with this first C, know your cloud. In other words, if you have developed a, a, a foundational model, whether it's proprietary or open source, uh, you should have to know what cloud it is running in, and it should be a reliable data center uh, that will 
you know, then be in a position to protect, say, the cybersecurity and the security more broadly of the model. Second, the people who run applications and who then run the data centers need to know their customers. In the same way that you want to pro prohibit, say, terrorist groups from getting access to money and using it for money laundering or, or sponsoring you know, activities that we want to stop, we should do the same thing with AI. So it does require a know your customer layer. And then the other thing that is, I think, quite important and is different, but has a huge amount of, of, of uh, just say, relevance in terms of learning from the analogy is know your content. You know, our sense is that when AI is used to create content in say voice or image and people see it, they have a right to know that it was created by AI, that it's not really you speaking or me speaking, but it's artificial intelligence that is emulating you or me. Uh, and similarly, we should put in place the kinds of controls through watermarking and the like that our industry has been advancing that would protect against, say, fraudulent activity that would change legitimate content, deface it, so to speak, with the goal of deceiving the public. So when you put these three things together, know your cloud, know your customer, know your content, you have the opportunity to overlay this, if you will, on the regulatory architecture I described. And I think that is a blueprint that can be effective. Uh, thanks, uh, Brad, uh, for explaining it uh, very succinctly. Uh, I will switch to another uh, area of interest uh, uh, for India, which is um, uh, the development of uh, digital public infrastructure, digital public goods, you know, the uh, Aadhaar payment gateways, etc. And India has been a leading um, uh, nation in developing this technology and has started sharing this with other countries. Now, what can India do in the field of AI itself and for developing countries? The first thing I would reflect on is just the important and really extraordinary advance that I believe India has made in the last five years in the development of technology, especially say characterized by you know, the, the India stack and digital public goods. Um, yeah, as I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to travel again post COVID. Yeah, I had the opportunity to go back to places I'd been many times before. And one of the first things one would do is compare where a country is today with where it was in say 2019 before the pandemic. And in my own opinion, I've seen no country advance more than India in terms of the development and especially the adoption of digital technology at such an impressive scale. You know, so the ability to have this for say an identity layer, you know, for presence, for health related data, for, for uh, payments and financial transactions, as you know, as people I think who are, who are, who are listening to this know, you know, it's had a transformative effect on so many people's lives in India. Uh, so I would put this first in that context. And then I would put it second in the context of the solutions that India has developed, I believe, have a direct relevance and applicability and potential benefit for many other countries in the world. 
Um, really, if you think of any country that has, say, public sector health care, it makes sense to have, a, I think, a public sector health care data layer to support it as just one example. So that really brings us to you know, the year we're in and AI, and then just say the B20 and G20 meetings. And I think two things have the opportunity to come together. The first is the ability to use AI to advance these digital public goods even further. You know, fundamentally what the, they have done is made digital technology more accessible and more useful for more people. But now with the power of, of generative AI, it can unlock, I think, even more benefits for people. Imagine the ability to use generative AI and just ask a question and you learn far more about your own medical history, what, all, what is buried in terms of insights in your, your healthcare records, what doctors can get out of that capability. Imagine what it can do for people who just want to understand how they're spending their money and predict where they're going to need to spend money in the next month or quarter or a year. Um, I think generative AI is so beneficial in helping people, everyday people, all of us sort of unlock the insights in data that, you know, it, it just provides a glimpse of where this can go. But I think it's important to connect it to one other concept as well, especially as we think about what this can do for India and then for India's technology reaching the world. It's all about trust. Uh, when you have technology play such an important role for so many people, especially connected to services that are so important for people's lives, it's critical that they be able to trust it. Uh, and in many ways, when I look at the questions that India is act, asking as a nation, they're very similar to what we at Microsoft are asking as a company. Um, what does it take to ensure that people can trust our technology? How do we protect privacy? How do we protect digital safety? How do we protect children? How do we protect cybersecurity? How do we ensure that AI is used in an ethical way? Um, so I think these are concepts that intersect. Uh, and one of the things that I'm hoping we'll see happen this year is that all of these efforts will come together in a way that will both enable India to take the next steps for the development and use of technology for its own people, but also really help propel India into what I think is naturally the next stage for the country's technological development, which is to not only export labor, so to speak, you know, through the so many talented engineers that work in India or around the world, having come from India, but now the technology as well. That to me, I think is one of the great opportunities for India this year. So, you know, uh, taking it a little further, you know, many of our listeners are business leaders and Microsoft has been leading uh, this um, wave of um, technology, uh, especially the generative AI that, uh, you know, you talked about. So what are the guiding principles and especially how are you getting ready for the future US, you know, Microsoft. How is Microsoft getting ready for this future? I think there's three things that are important at Microsoft and frankly are important at any company, any business, maybe even a government or NGO as well. 
First, move quickly to put AI to use to build a better company. And I think building a better company, for example, fundamentally involves two things. First, think about your line of business. Whatever it is that you do, really focus on how you can use AI to do it better. Uh, and this is an area where, you know, a company like Microsoft wants to work with customers to co-create technology to support the, the development and then you know, retention of intellectual property by our customers. You know, but it is an area where I think there will be real competitive advantage for companies that harness this first and move quickly. Um, but in addition, there's an opportunity for every business to think about how it can use AI in every other area of the company. Think about what every company has. They have finance, they have legal, they have HR, they have sales and marketing and advertising, they have IT. Um, AI is going to impact and transform and accelerate productivity gains in all of these areas. And interestingly, I think you'll see a lot of people much more comfortable sharing with other companies what they're doing to say, you know, improve the finance side of the company than they will their core line of business because it's not as competitively sensitive. But you want to be at the forefront of that as well. So, you know, the, the, the first thing I, I would say is become an early AI adopter. The second thing I think we all need to focus on is how we really enable and equip our people, our employees, with the skills they will need to use all of this successfully and how we create the incentives for them to get to work and, and experiment. And, and you know, for me, who you know, started in the uh, at Microsoft 30 years ago, I almost analogize uh, back to the early days of PC adoption. There were so-called power users. You know, they would be the first to use a, a spreadsheet like Lotus 123 or Excel. They were early adopters. I was an early adopter myself as a lawyer of you know, computers for, for writing and word processing. And, you know, and we would bring it literally. I brought a computer into the office at the first place I worked, the courthouse in New York. And then those practices would spread. Well, let's you know, enable people to be early adopters as individual employees, but let's really invest in giving people the tools and training they need. So I think you're going to see companies needing to spend more on employee training. And then the third is let's do all this responsibly. Uh, the whole focus on ethical AI or responsible AI sort of starts with a company like Microsoft or OpenAI or others that are building these models, but it doesn't end there. Because these AI tools are then used by customers. Banks build AI-based applications, educational institutions, healthcare providers, every part of the economy. And so, you know, we all need to share what we're doing, define best practices, and then adopt them. Uh, because it doesn't matter what business you're in, I think your customers will depend on you to use AI responsibly, which is why the other piece that we've been investing a lot in this year is how to disseminate best practices around responsible AI you know, more quickly and broadly. Uh, Brad, I have to ask this question. 
given my background uh, in uh, uh, Infosys and you know global uh, uh, software development. So, you know, Microsoft uh, is a global, truly a global uh, company. You have R&D presence uh, across the world. Now, how has uh, uh, this helped Microsoft? You know, collaborating across the world, um, especially from uh, places like India. What can tech industry learn from your experience in global collaboration? From my perspective, the enduring advantages of something like global software development have really been twofold. And our experience in India has, I think, been a real testament to this. First, it enables us to hire the best people around the world who want to work for our company, who want to help develop technology. Uh, you know, it, as you know, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, it was more likely that a young software developer in India would be inclined to leave India to get an advanced degree, to then stay where they earn their advanced degree. And, you know, frankly, one of the great strengths of India as a nation is this diaspora, this extraordinarily talented and interconnected network of people around the world. But today is different. Yeah, a young software developer who's coming out of a great university in India in 2023 may far more likely say, I'm going to stay in India. So if we want to get the best talent in the world, we have to go to the world. We have to employ people around the world. That's how we build a truly talented workforce. But there's a second aspect as well. While technology is a global industry, and as you obviously know, because of you know, the Infosys experience around the world, it doesn't mean that it's used exactly the same way everywhere. And so when you have people in different locations, it gives you a window on their world. Uh, you get the insights that they have. And from my perspective, if you want to serve the world with your product, whether it's technology or almost anything else, it's really important for you to have an employee base that reflects the diversity of the world. And so, you know, that's what we are able to do. And of course, India is a significant percentage of the world's people. Uh, and you see that reflected in the significant percentage of Microsoft's workforce, especially software development workforce that we have in India. Uh, and I think that's the future. Uh, it is a future where the most successful enterprises, especially successful on a more global basis, will need to have employees in more places and will need to build a culture that enables them to tap into the insights that people in different countries can bring. Lastly, uh, Brad, uh, uh, I'm told that uh, you are going to be coming for the B20 meeting, uh, you know, the, the last week of August in India. Uh, so I have to ask you, what are your expectations uh, from, you know, B20 is the business uh, part of the G20 process and you've been part of the task force. Um, so from this, uh, you know, meeting, what are your expectations, what you're looking forward to, uh, you know, so we can uh, close with that actually. I'm especially enthusiastic about this B20 session in India. 
As you were outlining at the outset, I think an extraordinary amount of preparation and extraordinarily good preparation has gone into it. And even when we look beyond the very tangible uh, output that I think we'll have, yeah, the, the B20 meeting, I think, does a few really important things. First, it gives a voice for business in the international issues that are really defining our future. And while I think we should always quite rightly look for governments to lead, the truth is we live in a world where free market forces play a bigger role than any other force in to say the course of the global economy and especially the future of technology development. And so for the opportunity for us to come together as a business community, to share what we're seeing, to offer our ideas, and really to do it in a way that makes us a constructive participant in the run-up to the meeting of government leaders roughly a month later, uh, I think is really vital to the process. Um, you know, second, I think reflecting everything we've talked about here, reflecting the, the technology developments of the last year and really almost their unique nature in terms of historical importance. It is an opportunity for the business community to come together and say, we not only want to contribute to the future of technology and to growth and prosperity, but we want and need to do it in a way that is socially responsible. You know, that advances the global south, that advances the needs of the G20, that frankly is cognizant of the importance of something like environmental sustainability, which is you know, also such a hugely impactful issue this year, and I think every year into our future, you know, but puts a stake in the ground and helps people see that businesses not only earn profit and create jobs, but can fundamentally and are committed to fundamentally being an engine for good and healthy and broadly distributed growth. I think that is a second thing that I hope we'll see. And third, I just have to admit, anytime I come to India, I'm just excited to come to India. So <laughs> there, there will be what takes place at the B20 meeting, but let's face it, India today is one of the most vibrant centers in the world for the, the, the development of new technology, for the adoption of technology, for all the intellectual ideas and discussions relating to technology. And so there's what will happen in the B20, and then there's always the opportunity just to connect with others in India. And, and by the way, I'm also coming for the food. It's, it's <laughs> always a good thing to come to India for. So I'm excited. I'm very happy that this year the B20 and the G20 are in India. So uh, thank you, uh, Brad, uh, for sharing your perspectives on this new technology, the AI, especially generative AI, how we can use it responsibly, responsibly as uh, governments, as uh, uh, organizations uh, for the benefit of the society. We look forward to welcome you to Delhi in uh, the second half of August, uh, and hopefully we will have uh, positive contribution to uh, make to the G20 process. So thank you for making time today. Uh, Brad, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. 
थैंक यू फॉर लिसनिंग टू सी आई आई पॉडकास्ट